0: Welcome back to 24 Faithful. We are back today and we are going to be talking about the last couple of episodes of season number 6. And some are excited, some are not so excited and well, we get to look at this conclusion here of <laughs> of season number 6 joined today with uh Bradley Adams and Joel Wood. Bradley joining joining us from Battle Creek, Nebraska
1: today.
2: Is that where the cbs tv show of 2013 i want to say maybe it was 2015 i'm getting my years mixed up probably 2015 i assume that's where that was set
1: well well bradley you're the uh you're the spoiler tv guy not me well this is true i should
2: remember shouldn't i (laughs)
1: all right this is stuff that you should know (laughs)
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna say for the sake of argument that it is okay there you go checking out the set but yeah so we are memories talking about this. And as we get into this last part of season number six, there's a couple different shifts of focus that take place. We have Jack uh, having killed Fayyad and then getting a call from Chang. You guys discussed that a little bit last week into that part there. So we have that shift of focus. And of course, with Chang comes in, uh, Philip Bauer doing his fill up stuff. But anyway, then we also see that Bill Buchanan gets dismissed from CTU and by his wife, um, reluctantly, but again, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> again, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is a kid. Um, and so <laughs> Bill puts Nadia in charge. Um, so she's the acting director of CTU. And then we also have Wayne Palmer that after he gets out of his coma ends up collapsing and, getting taken away so then noah daniels gets put back in charge in the white house and then there's all kinds of drama and everything that takes place in the white house after after that takes place or i guess the drama just keeps going i should say just keeps continuing through through there. drama never ends at the white house and i really wish it would
1: (laughs) well then there will be no tv show bradley well season four coped there was no deal with Keeler did in season it though? four. Season four coped, yeah. Did it? It did. So are we so are we gonna forget Logan and David Palmer?
2: In the first sixteen episodes, Logan and David Palmer weren't there. It was Keela. We barely <laughs> knew him and it worked.
1: Yeah, and then he and his repayment was he got his plane shot down.
2: Well, things happen, you know. But I would I would take that over acting president being what was described as a dirty old man and then his chief aide unknowingly leaking information to the Russians and the whole sting operation that made no sense and then oh no
1: well look anybody anybody that has paid attention to American politics over the last four years knows that drama in the White House is (laughs) right all right so this is completely in line with how it happens in the real world. All right. Drama in the White House is second nature. It along with death and taxes. Fair. Yeah,
0: I guess so. I did like seeing some of the interactions between Tom and not Keeler. See, you got you got his name stuck in my head now. Daniels. <laughs> Daniels. That's not my fault. I didn't mention him. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so I, I I like some of the interactions that they had and so the confrontation um as as far as like hey this is this is where we stand tom has some evidence against daniels and his role and some of the things that happened and and so daniel's confronting him and saying hey so where do you stand where does this stand and i don't know i i I saw it was interesting the the confrontation that they had there and tom kind of standing up i don't know i mean that scene.
2: that, that scene is actually one of the better or one of the best, I should say, acted scenes of the whole season, I think. Peter McNichol, I can't remember where we talked about it, but Tom, when he first comes in, is horrible as a character. He, he's kind of in the um, Lynn McGill type territory of he's quite good at his job, I think, when he first comes in, but he's also very dislikable. And he's, you know, Peter McNichol is, is brilliant from the start, but there is that stretch where he forces Karen out and you don't like Tom. And as the season goes on he becomes inst- a lot more likable. And you are right. Like, his, his interactions with Daniel's here, Powers Booth and McNichol are two fantastic performers. And when they're together and when they're apart in these episodes, uh, you know, I love I love Booth when he confronts Lisa. I don't massively love the storyline, but I think he he carries it through and he Really conveys the sense of betrayal and the importance around it. It, it is a very good thing, performance wise, I would say, those two.
1: Well, old oh, Tom Lennox. Um, it, it amazes me the dramatic character shift that Tom goes through throughout the season. Um, I mean, when he starts the season, you know, him and Karen pretty much can't stand each other. Um he gives off a nefarious um villain-esque vibe to him. Um, like he has ulterior motives. He's doing things outside of the presidential authority. Um and then after Wayne Palmer almost gets assassinated, um it's like he does a complete one eighty. All of a sudden he doesn't hate Karen as much. He's trying to do the right thing. And he's uh, standing up to the president. So it's, it's. I like Tom, for the most part. Didn't like him particularly well in the first half of the season. But for the most part, I like Tom. Um, it's just, there's very few times in 24 where you, I mean, if a character is present over, you know, several seasons, you'll see certain dramatic character shifts over the course of their time on the the show but very few times in 24 do you see such dramatic shifts in character from somebody that's not a mole um for one character throughout the course of one season and i thought that the the time that you see in episode 24 is different than the time you see in episode one and the the amount of maturity I'll say that he displayed throughout the other episodes was kind of interesting to watch at times but I particularly did not like Noah Daniels um he's not as he's not as worthless as Keeler but he's up there as far as presidents that didn't do jack um you know I'll put Keeler Noah and then Wayne's kind of down the list somewhere but I thought that as soon as I saw that secretary of his or that assistant, whatever her name is, I forget her name. Lisa. Thank you, Bradley. Bradley's on the ball this week. With Josh here. Um, when, I, when I first saw Lisa, I just she has one of those faces. She has one of those faces that you look at and you can just tell she's not who she seems to be. And I'm just gonna leave it at that. As soon as I, as soon as I saw her, even if I hadn't seen the season before, just she has one of those faces that just doesn't come across as somebody that does always does things on the right side of the law.
2: daniels comes in, and he's smug and just very hard to like. After the sort of the nicety of Wayne Palmer that we we know and love, and then Lisa's beside him, and she's somehow worse. And the whole whole leak storyline with Mark Bishop and them trying to fool the Russians, it's just,
1: it's not good. Well, if you can't fool the Russians, who can you fool?
0: Well, we also have a situation happening in CTU. And so uh, there's, well, there's several situations that take place there, I suppose. But we have an attack. So we have the Chinese that wants to get a hold of Josh. And it's just—I don't know. This is what the twentieth time the CTU gets attacked, and it's—I don't know. You know, you would
1: think with Empire. all the money that with all the money that CTU has coming in, and the fact that they're a government agency, you would you would think that they would invest in a little bit better security. You would think. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, this is the third <laughs> attack on CTU, I think the bomb in season two, and the nerve gas in season five. And those two had fairly reasonable explanations behind them. You know, you look at it and go, right, okay, well, Jack and <clears throat> Joe Ward's crew have managed to fake being electric crew or whatever it was they were, and they have got in that way. Okay, fine. Season five, Lynn lost his key card. Haas has um, managed to... Overwrite it and get in pretending to be Lin McGill essentially, but an actual staffer. Okay, fine, that works. And then this is just well, they've they've come in through the basement. They've come in like through a hole in the in the in the gutters, in the sewers. And and really, I mean, really, is this is this what you're trying to tell us?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: then, you know, in a season where a nuclear bomb detonates and kills thirteen thousand people, it's. Really frustrating that the defining moment of it comes here in Milo's death. Because it sums up everything wrong with this season and everything wrong with the approach that this season takes based on trying to be season five. And it's because when Milo dies, and and, and you should I think we should preface this by saying that Eric Belfour wanted out of 24. So he he wanted to leave. This wasn't a oh, let's just get rid of Milo on the on the cuff. It was Eric Balfour wanted to leave and do other things. So they knew they had to write him out. And the approach here is that it's a situation where he's not a threat. He's not doing anything that's going to damage Zhu and his team's raid of CTU. He's not hiding Josh. He's not doing anything like that. He is in a situation where they've taken over the floor and Zhu, the leader to ask to know who's in charge and minor stands up and he shoots him for no reason
0: yeah the and only then, reason that comes to my mind is that mentality of like you go to like you're in jail it's like you go and you beat up the toughest guy to kind of show your position that's the only thing that but potentially they've, they've, makes they've
2: sense. killed all the security guards they've taken all of these people hostage like at what point do you then have to say oh well i'm actually you know oh. we're in charge here we've got all these machine guns we got all this weaponry. We're in charge. No, we- until we kill the acting head of CTU, we're not in charge here, are we? <laughs> and then, and and then, you know, ten minutes later, they've got to use Nadia because Doyle's calling, and so you know she has to tell him that everything's fine. And it's just like, well, why? And then it kind of tops off when he's trying to get Josh out of the the air ventilate the ventilation system and threatens Marilyn, and he he uses this line, there's been enough bloodshed today. Like, you haven't just five minutes ago killed an innocent civilian, essentially, who ca- caused you no threat, and who you just simply asked to stand up because you wanted to know who he was. Like, the security guards, obviously, are a threat to you. He is not. No one on that floor is, until Jack gets there, obviously. Okay, It frustrates well, first,
1: me. Okay, well, first of all, those security guards haven't been a threat to anybody in six seasons. In right. theory.
2: In theory I said.
1: If though if those if those men had watched any of the previous five seasons of Twenty Four, they would know they're not threats. All right. So let's just let's just be honest. I've never seen in the six seasons so far, I haven't seen a security officer put up a fight yet. So they are let's the just,
2: stormtroopers of CTU. <laughs> let's just, yeah.
1: let's just let's just get the whole security being a threat thing out of the way. I wasn't a big fan of the Milo character. Eric Balfour is a a uh, Respectable actor, you know, he's a I don't mind the actor per se. I just uh, don't particularly not a fan of his character because he didn't really seem to serve a purpose other than being somebody for Morris to go back and forth with. I thought the forced, I guess you can call it relationship between him and Nadia was cringeworthy at best. Um, Emphasis on the at best. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> it, it's, it's particularly bad actually
2: when their kiss just after she's released from custody isn't great but it's made so much worse by the fact that Chloe sat there watching
1: it's it's, it's well you know Chloe, Chloe is always good for adding a creep factor to every segment Um, but I, I just thought the whole relationship was kind of forced like I didn't I didn't mind you know them having a relationship with two characters in CTU It just seemed as if Nadia and Milo didn't really have good chemistry um, to be able to make that relationship work. Um, Chloe and Morris, excellent chemistry. Nadia and Milo, not so much. Um, So I thought that part was kind of, that's what really kind of turned me off of character because it just didn't seem natural to me. Um, So by the time so by the time he got shot, uh, I was pretty much done with his character by that point. No, he was good in he was good in season one, you know, in small doses. You know, when Jack made him look like an idiot, um, so that was okay. But having him through a whole season, especially five seasons after the last time we saw him, I don't know too many people that were clamoring for a return of Milo. Um, so I thought that you know, even though his death was made to seem like they wanted people to care, um, I just don't think it had the same effect as, you know, some of the previous 24 deaths, um, especially those that happened in CTU. Um, Secondly, it's amazing that CTU's been attacked three times, um, had CTU wrecked three times, and they always managed to rebuild it in Remarkably quick fashion. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how quickly everything's back to normal. I just see to you, there's a few things that you can guarantee in a 24 season. A bomb threat, a mole within the government and see to you getting that. It seems like that. It seems like a common theme for at least half of the seasons of 24. And I thought that there were certain tropes, I believe that's the right word, There are certain tropes that 24 tends to go to just a tad too often. And having CTU be attacked three times in four seasons, uh, I thought was a little bit much. Because at some point, at some point, you start to expect it. Like when the season starts, you're starting to wonder, okay, at what point in the season are we going to find out who the mole is? Before episode one. And then you're wondering, okay, at what point in the season is CTU going to get infiltrated? And I just thought that I am... Enjoyed it for the most part. I just thought that it was, it's a, it's a trope that they go back to far too often and taking over an entire government building just to retrieve one kid. I thought was a bit much.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually they go down the route of contacting one of the people and saying, Hey, you need to get this person out. I don't care how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. But they've done that several times. So they were like, Oh, let's do something different. But we've also done
1: several times. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs> Eeny, Meeny Miny Mo. Well, at least they didn't give Milo a silent clock.
1: That would have been horrible. I'm still mad they didn't give Tony a silent clock, but let's move on. But
2: within the context of everything, why would they? And this is this is part of why oh. Milo's death is frustrating because 24 does deaths emotionally, generally. You know, we talked about Curtis, and it's not great, but there's an emotion behind it to jack edgar and mason and terry and whoever else you know there's an, it's always the emotion with the silent clock and it's usually emotion when it comes to major character deaths and with milo there's none of that it's it is pure shock factor it is, and it's again season 5 is everything comes at you and surprises you out of nowhere so season 6 thinks right let's do that again But it doesn't get it right at all, and this is just—I think this is the best example of it for me. It's just we need to, you know, we need a good end of act break. Eric Balfour wants out. Let's kill Milo. It's really sudden, and that's that.
0: Yeah, that's a lot better way of. They could have won another way
1: They could have won another way if they wanted to kill the guy off. I mean, yeah,
0: there's a lot of different Uh,
1: ways they could
2: have done that. uh, At least have him sort of making a play to try and take one of the guns or something. Like it's it's not great, but at least then well there's a reason for the terrorists to kill him. He's tried to do a he's trying to be a hero or whatever. Standing up to protect Nadia from you know, the the only reason he does it is because he assumes that they'll shoot him, which I guess is right, but I don't get why. Uh
0: but anyway, so they were getting their goal was getting Josh, and they find out that it's Philip that is Behind the whole thing. And so we had this return of Philip, which we weren't super pleased with the first time. And then we get him coming back here. And it I don't know. Joel anyone, is a lot anyone more able, passionate able to tell me what I the think.
2: purpose. Anyone able to tell me what the purpose of Philip bowers is in these episodes? Like what what is the point of his existence? Family
1: connections <laughs> of Jack, that's hell. it. Make Jack side for Living Hell. That's his purpose. But he doesn't.
2: Like, that's not in the slightest bit his objective. His objective is to leave the country. With Josh. Yeah. Who doesn't want to go with him, who hates him, who he threatened to kill 12 hours beforehand. Like, what sort of life do you expect you're going to have here, Philip?
1: Well, sometimes when you want the kids to get in line, you just got to make some veiled threats. All right.
2: Not to mention, not to mention, he was then also involved with the terrorist plot that he's trying to escape from, and his father was involved in it, Josh, and so the whole family's a complete mess. But you know, happy families in China, yay!
1: Well, he's hoping that once Josh realizes everything that he has, or that he will have, then maybe it'll turn him around. Maybe it'll make him uh, as he gets older. Maybe he'll start to understand a bit more, and then uh, Philip can turn him into another Graham. You know, that's my theory on that, on the the thinking behind Philip Bauer. Is that maybe he thinks that as Josh gets older and starts to that he understands how things work, that maybe. Just maybe he would uh, be more receptive. Kind of like Graham, only not as much of an idiot.
2: Well, there was a line to that effect. He said that he doesn't expect you to, I don't expect you to understand everything. Not now anyway. Someday you will and you'll thank me for it. It's very Stephen Saunders. In fact, like it's almost word for word what Stephen said to Jane um, just before the Chant Plaza stuff. And, like, really? I mean, really? his Philip's existence within these episodes here, we talked about it before, that he doesn't really have a purpose as a terrorist. He is trying to cover himself in the earlier episodes. His whole existence within the show is to kind of almost erase his existence within the show, to hide the fact that he was involved in the terrorist plot, to avoid prosecution, to get Graham out of it, And then here, it's just to escape. You know, Cheng Cheng I don't particularly like at the end here because it's get some technology and leave. But at least kind of there's a purpose that he's doing it to serve his country. He's doing it because, you know, he wants to advance whatever
0: nefarious things he has. But Philip just wants to leave. And, of course, the most trustworthy person that Philip can go to is Cheng. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, because that's apparently a thing.
1: Yeah,
0: well, well, I mean, Chen, Chen goes to Philip, doesn't he? I'm,
2: I'm assuming because he needs the chip repaired.
1: Well, I mean, if you be. can't if
2: you can't trust an evil Chinaman, who can you trust? Well, then he's like he he distrusts him because he makes horrible mistakes. But then he's like, well, you know, you, you've made your mistakes have been totally unacceptable. But China's my future, so it's fine. Let's work together. Still,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: okay. The attack on the oil rig's good. I'll give it that. that. That's really nice. And I, I love the Jack and Bill stuff in those final episodes, um, even though it's quite weird that when he was prepping the building to blow up once Audrey was safe, um, that he told Bill that he's been a good friend, even though he's known him two days. And it is two days because he disappeared for 18 months after meeting him and then went to Ch- was in China for 20 months after he returned and was with him for a day. So that's a bit weird, but you know, I'll let it slide.
1: Do we know how long he how long he knew Bill before season four, I think it was? Or did or was season four know. the first time that he ever met Bill Buchanan?
2: My impression is that he hadn't met him before, but certainly I wouldn't ever qualify them as like there's no indication that they knew each other, let alone were friends before season four, so
0: yeah, I mean, under these intense circumstances though, friendships can be bound very quickly. Just look like
1: at this that. podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I right. thought I, I think Bill had more of a healthy respect for Jack as opposed to a you know, go out for a beer kind of friendship. Um, yeah. I think it was more of a respect for Jack for all that he's done as opposed to you know, he's my buddy. We're going to exchange Christmas cards kind of thing.
2: <laughs> and, and to be fair, the dynamic in the final couple of episodes, and I love the bit in the, the final episode where Jack is saying about how he's going to take the helicopter and go and save Josh because he's an innocent guy or an innocent kid who the government are basically sacrificing. And Bill just like, I'll fly. It, it, it's just nice. And you kind of, it, it's one of those things where you forget the fact that they don't really know each other that well. Because we've watched, over you know it's we watch it and then a week later we come back to them and so it's kind of like for us, you you feel the f- sort of three four months from the start of season to the end of the season, you don't really feel the fact that this is over a course of a couple of hours, so you forget about it and it, and, it, and it is
0: just it is just lovely. Yeah, I think it's more no. of
1: a healthy respect developed between the two.
0: Of course, we also have the uh, whole situation with Audrey taking place as well so you guys touched on that a little bit last week as the exchange is being made and you just referenced it there where jack had planned to blow up the building after audrey got away that way chang would be destroyed the chip would be destroyed and all that kind of stuff and so of course jack doing all this stuff on his own as he as he does trying to uh exchange these highly valuable government controlled things or whatever processes or documents or whatever and so so anyway so so we had that whole thing happen jack gets arrested after that audrey gets taken in and as they're in ctu one thing i liked was doyle he's one of those didn't like at the beginning kind of grew to like him but but he comes in after he finds out what they're going to be doing with Audrey and the medical and comes in and explains what's going on to Jack. And he's like, killer Jack. And while he's explaining all this to Jack, he's uncuffing Jack. And so then Jack asks, why did you uncuff me? He says, because I think you need to do something about it. Then they stare at each other for a second. He says, make it look good. I I don't know. I, I just like that. It's like, I'm giving you permission to go ahead and knock me out and go ahead and pull (laughs) a jack
2: i mean it's one of those things doyle is kind of a character who my attitude towards is always in flux like he's awful at the start and then it it really fluctuates you know he has the thing with nadia which really goes up and down he has bits where like you just described saving uh, helping or getting jack out of uh custody so he can go save audrey uh, bits with Josh and some of that's good and some of that's bad. He's he's a very up and down character but on the whole I think I like him but the scene you described there is, is superb and you know it comes out of 24 having a very interesting take on psychiatrists I'd say. We had obviously the guy in season 5 that Kim was with and he was painted in a very bad light and then there's this guy who takes one look at Audrey and decides that He's going to drug her even more and try and shock her out of this state and isn't really taking any other answer or any other opinion or any
0: other authority. And yeah, it's not, it's not great. I'd well, say he spent a whole 30, 30 minutes evaluating this.
2: You can't give, you
0: can't, you can't allow trauma stuff like that to go on long. You gotta, gotta take action right away. <laughs>
1: look sometimes 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 all you need is a good shock
2: well clearly not
1: (laughs) all right (laughs) sometimes sometimes if you're you know i'm i'm all for that really you know i i would prefer they just shock you you know at will you know anytime anytime you're in a trance, oh let's just shock them you know if daydreaming shock stare off in space shock you know that's just me maybe i'm a little bit much but you know i just maybe just just shocking them just for the sake of shocking. Them. You know, I, that's just me. Maybe they could have done a little bit more. You know, maybe they could have evaluated the situation a little better. Um I particularly like Doyle. Um I like the actor. Um I didn't particularly like him when he first got there because he seemed a bit of a jerk. Um but then again a lot of new characters that 24 introduces start off as jerks. And then as they progress, they start to soften them up a bit, mellow them out, uh, try to make them more likable, more redeemable, uh, before they get rid of them. And then the Secretary
2: right. Heller who goes in the opposite direction.
1: Secretary Secretary Heller, as... Look, se- Secretary Heller is a prophet, all right? He told Jack, <laughs> in Season 6, everybody that that is around you ends up dead, and... Three seasons later, spoiler alert, what happened to Audrey? Uh, that's canceled. Regardless of whose fault it is. <laughs> okay, if Audrey hadn't been caught up with Jack, she would probably still be alive. This is true. And, and she definitely wouldn't have been in a catatonic state for however many seasons, however many years passed between season six and a little bit before season nine. Um, So it's. Secretary Heller turned into a bit of a jerk at the end, but I understood it. Yeah, because oh, he's, not what, he's not wrong. Because of what Jack, as much as I love Jack, what Jack put Audrey through for the three seasons or whatever that she was there before she disappeared for three seasons. So from that perspective, I understood it because Heller did not want Jack anywhere near um, his daughter. Doyle, however, Reminds me a lot, although in shorter doses, of Mason and Chappelle and a few of the other um, antagonistic characters that they bring in. That eventually, before they depart the series, um, 24 tries to make them a little bit more, tries to soften the shell up a little bit, make them a little bit more likable. Um, Usually, when that happens, you know that eventually they're either going to get killed off or sit somewhere else. When they start to take a character that you know, has been antagonistic and a bit of a jerk for a majority of the, of their time on the show. And then all of a sudden they start to get nice and redeemable and likable and, and stuff like that. You know that they're probably not going to be on the show much longer.
0: Do you ever know what happens to Doyle after all this? Cause he just no. kind of disappear.
2: Well, he gets blinded by the fake chip explosive thing, or in theory meant to be he could be blind, or he's probably going to be blind, and that's it. That's the last we ever hear of him. Okay. I couldn't remember if there was anything that came from him. Just that. Just on Secretary Helen, though, and the, and the whole Audrey thing. I really love, actually, the emotional Jack that comes out of this. That's, that's always been one of the best versions of Jack is when... You know, when he's dealing with the potential loss of Terry or Terry's actual death or the phone call with Kim or things like this, you know, he's, that's, that's always been where Kiefer's really shined. And it's great seeing him kind of lost, I guess, sort of at, almost at an end when Hella berates him and leaves like he does. And then again, at the end of the season, the final season of of the final episode which is really terrific actually you know the way that he goes in there is a real there is there is a real unhinged type to him at this point of we've seen so many times before and he said so many times before that he's got nothing to lose and again it's absolutely true kim thinks he's whatever um audrey is in this state what friends does he have left none none really you know that there, there's not really a whole lot else for him, and so to go in and confront Heller like he does, and to be as angry as he is, and then so open and raw as he is when leaving Audrey, making that choice, that difficult one that he knows is right, and and Heller convinces him to know. It's it's really nice to see, actually, really good.
1: It was heartbreaking. How sincere was that? Bradley everything i say is sincere. Okay.
2: That is a straight up lie and you know it.
1: <laughs> everything i say is sincere, Bradley, okay? I do not play around, all right? I am very I am very serious and sincere when it comes to this podcast. That's number 1. Number 2, <clears throat> I thought it was it was a little rough. <laughs> watching it because, you know, we've seen, before season nine, Audrey is one of his few, I guess, love interest um, that actually makes it alive. And then in season nine, they kill her anyway. Um, so I, I thought that she was one of the more consistent uh, love interest, but at the same time, From the start of season four, when this first became public knowledge, you kind of knew and had an idea that it wasn't going to work because as we saw with Terry, if Jack is going to have a relationship with someone, I guess Renee Walker being the exception, but if Jack is going to have a relationship with someone, it needed to be someone with a similar mindset, a similar skill skill set similar occupation um and i understand he tried to he tried to you know get out in season four but we don't know that was going to work because that's not who jack is so <laughs> even though audrey was probably the best person for him she was also the worst person for him because she was a typical um outside relationship And the kind of relationship that you cannot have and do this job, which is the same thing he warned Chase of in season three, that you can't have a regular relationship and still do this job. And Audrey is the type of regular relationship that he wouldn't have been able to maintain while still doing what he does. And Heller realized that. And I think it just took Jack a little longer to kind of let that into his head a little bit and realize that himself.
2: It's very much in that, that final scene where he goes into her room and kind of understands what he was saying, the Heller saying about how, well, you won't be able to care for her the way you want to. You'll get back in the game sooner or later, and then she's going to pay the price. And ultimately, that last little bit, okay, it proves true. It's a little bit of a, a guesswork, but he's right about the first bit that Audrey needs round-the-clock care and all the other stuff that she's going to need, and, and you, you see that when he goes into that room. And how's Jack meant to do that? You know, it, like you said, Audrey, possibly good for him, but not really going to work in normal circumstances as we saw in previous seasons, but certainly not now.
0: Yeah, of course, that's not the only relationship that has some rocky pieces going on here. We also have Chloe, Chloe and Morris that that have some news at the end of the season here otherwise known as let's reuse a quote or storyline from a
2: previous season and hope fans love the callback cuz you know how could they possibly do chloe's pregnant without reusing that line from terry of that's usually how it works when morris questions you're pregnant what with you mean with child like is this a normal conversation is is that a normal way of people talking about this i don't know like it just really <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I'm not one for, I guess, pregnancy angles. <laughs> um, I thought it was a natural evolution, I guess, of the relationship. But forgive me, I just can't picture this kind of thing with Chloe. I can't picture it. I just, maybe I'm missing something. But I just can't, I just can't see it.
2: What's season seven then? <laughs> <laughs> Season 7 no we not don't don't start this rant
1: yet. <laughs> season 7 was a was a precursor to season 9, Chloe. Okay. Let's let's get that out of the way. Season 6, Chloe, I just can't maybe it's just me. but I just can't picture it. You know, Morris is he adds that balance like I said. On screen they have great chemistry. <laughs> um but I just don't Unless the pregnancy angle was going to lead to a storyline or unless it was going to lead to a, you know, something further, then I don't understand what the point of it was. Because in season seven, did, did we or did we not see uh, Prescott when Morris dropped Chloe off at of the FBI building? We do, yep. Okay. How many other times do we see him in season seven?
2: That's it, it's a very long time since I watched season seven, but I want to say that's it. Okay. I thought and there was
0: another time later, but I could be wrong.
2: They're in the, they're both in, or, or there's a whole thing about it in the um, day eight uh, debrief, the, not debrief, but the the thing after the Chloe's Arrest is what it's called. That's what I'm trying to think of. The little yeah, I remember mini, mini five episode I thing. Of. Up.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So we see him once or twice in season seven. We see him when Chloe gets arrested in season eight. That's it. So what really is the purpose of giving her a son if you're not going to incorporate it into the story? In the same way that
2: what's the point of killing Milo? It's because, oh, look, isn't this the big twist? <laughs> like, that's, that's it. The only difference here is that this feels like a fairly natural way of wrapping up the season six stuff with Morris and Chloe, the rockiness that they've been through the breakup that they had earlier, a few episodes ago, because Chloe, but you know, they'd been, they'd been tense for a couple of episodes and Chloe had that outburst of don't arm nuclear bombs for terrorists. Not great, but the whole thing kind of feels fairly natural to come to this point. I'm not, particularly keen on the pregnancy storylines either. But I think Carlo Rota and particularly Mary Lynn in that breakup scene and, you know, the aforementioned callback line aside, that scene where she tells him is really, really nice. And one of the few scenes in this season and probably in the show as well, because it is always fairly bleak. It's one of the few scenes where you actually kind of smile at it because we all love Chloe. And I think... There's a certain adoration for Morris at this point as well. He's he's very rough around the edges and he's not perfect, but he is very likable for most of this season. And there's just a real pureness to it. There's a real kind of finally something nice for these two, and particularly for Morris. But you know, all the hardships that we've seen Chloe go through, this is just a really nice way to
1: leave her in this season, I think. Um according to because I was curious while uh, Bradley was going on his rant, it was positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was positively
2: a rant. You keep on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. I'm the one defending it here. You didn't like this storyline. I did. I didn't. Like are you, it. you criticizing me for spending most of this season criticizing season six? Suddenly, I have something positive to say, and you say that I ranted about
1: it as well. <laughs> You're ranting now, Bradley.
2: <laughs> yeah, you.
1: Look. All I'm saying is I did I did a little digging and Prescott O'Brien made uh three appearances in season 7. 4 to 5, 9 to 10 and 3 to 4 a.m. So I do not remember any of those. <laughs> well, listen. According to this, he appeared at 4 p.m. to 5 p.m., which I'm assuming is when Chloe dropped he got dropped off at the FBI building, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then 3 a.m. to 4 a.m.
2: So what you're saying is that there was a purpose. That sounds to me that sounds to me like what you're saying, isn't it, Josh?
1: No, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> because according to the description, <laughs> the only thing he did was stand there while Chloe tells Morris to get out of the city, and then she hugged him while he was sleeping and left. That was his purpose. Dude,
0: that's adorable.
1: That's a load of crap. Lovely. Um, <laughs>
0: that's
1: so oh, chloe that's well, a it, load of- it doesn't
0: it doesn't really add much to the storyline itself other than that's the way point. they bring it back into play back and live another day but it adds it adds more to the character and so but it's one of those things they did it was a small piece they didn't like drag it out over episodes and like half a season of like oh here's all the here's chloe having all these backaches because of her pregnancy or getting nauseous, running to the bathroom or <laughs> using her trash. It, they, they didn't go into all of that kind of stuff. It's just like, oh, I'm pregnant. Then they have a baby and it, in season seven, they show her and it's a loving relationship that they have. And she struggles with going back and doing this and that. And and then uh, and so it's. I mean, it just kind of adds to her character, which then sets up with kind of how she turned out in season nine. Maybe it's not perfect, but there, there is some kind of sense to
2: it. All I'm going to say is that having endured Brody's daughter in season one of Homeland and then Carrie's child in seasons four and five of Homeland and the way that that's portrayed, be thankful of the way that 24 does Chloe's child because that's bad in Homeland. This is much better. Okay. just it, okay. it exists as a character thing. Beyond that, no one cares.
1: Okay, Bradley, listen. Save your spoiler TV rants for another podcast, okay? This is 24 here, okay? We all, we're we not talking about Homeland, all right? I understand it may have been bad. Only back. the Karen Hayes one. Well, we're not talking about the show Homeland. All right, we're, we're talking about Chloe O'Brien, who is by far probably a better character than everybody on Homeland.
0: Oh, but anyway, that leads us to the end of this episode and so uh not totally done with season six i believe next episode coming back to kind of fill in a couple of the different pieces that uh were missed throughout uh but then also uh this is actually going to be my last episode for the foreseeable future and so <laughs> <laughs> okay
2: audio description yes, coming in the is- joe <laughs> Joel has been doing some thumbs up and thumbs down. He was doing a lot of thumbs down there for season six. And then as Joel, sorry, as, as Josh described that this was going to be his last podcast, the thumbs kind of veered upwards.
0: So you know, take from that what you will. Oh, uh, But yeah, so I just have some different situations happening with my job and things like that. I'm not going to be able to maintain it, uh, but I know Bradley and Joel are going to be able to do an excellent job being able to um, finish up the rest of the series and so I'm looking forward to listening to it myself I don't know about the and,
1: part.
0: well Bradley's going to do a good job at least so yeah I don't <laughs> think anybody that listened to the
1: podcast last week is going to think that's going to happen
0: well I listened to the podcast last week and I am confident of Bradley's ability to ask be able to power biased. through that's because you're, ask because you're <laughs>
1: biased alright
2: I'm very much going to miss Josh's support in these arguments, to be honest. That's
1: All because that's, that's because that's the only reason that you're able to get an argument in is because you have Josh on your side.
0: <laughs> well, maybe I can contribute by sending in feedback like uh, everybody else <laughs> can be able to do by it, going to 24Faithful.com. <laughs> or, yes, I can leave a voicemail. And nice, nice, nice segue there, Josh. And so if you want to leave a voicemail, you can call 405 i'll probably be able to contribute some via that way anyway so we are wrapping up this episode glad to talk to you guys